Hello and welcome to another episode of 177 Nations of Tasmania. Now when you mention Kazakhstan to a lot of people in Australia, probably the first thing they think of is Borat, the fictional comedy character of Sacha Baron Cohen. Now this is probably an indication of how little we actually know about this huge country in the middle of Central Asia. In this episode I'm talking with Diana and I hope to open just a little window onto this part of the world. Diana grew up in Almaty, the largest city of Kazakhstan and a historical capital, and had quite an unusual educational experience as she transferred to a special sports school at a young age where she would focus on becoming a professional swimmer. Later on, she would study hospitality in Sydney before moving to Hobart three years ago for a lifestyle change and has really embraced the natural attractions of Tasmania. Tell me about where you, um, where you grew up in Kazakhstan. What kind of place was it? In Kazakhstan, it was a um, city called Almaty. Mm-hmm. Before that, it was called city Verny. And uh, it's a pretty good place, really big place. A lot of nature, a lot of mountains. And uh, you can come outside and then you can see this beautiful spectrum of mountains. And they're a lot taller than in Tasmania, <laughs> I yeah. would say. But still, yeah, that's that's my city. Yeah, because uh, Mati is sort of more of a, it's quite an old traditional city, if I'm yeah, not mistaken. Yeah. And what was the, like, the neighborhood where you grew up? What was that like? So I grew up in the city. Mm-hmm. So it's like city, city, like you can say it's sort of similar to Hobart one, but a lot more, you can say, mega malls, like a lot of shopping places to be and... Uh, yeah, like I grew up in the city center and neighborhood is like very, very close. We were like very close. Like we would know, I would know all my neighbors down because I was, we were living on level five and like we knew everybody across the whole building. And I know a lot of Soviet, ex-Soviet cities, it's mostly apartment, made up of yeah, apartment yeah. buildings. Was it yeah. like that? Yeah. Because I, as I mentioned to you, I lived in, in Russia and I lived in one of these old style apartment buildings where there's kind of like a, a u-shape and then there's another one opposite the same and there's a yeah. kinder, uh, like a, yeah. a children's play area in the middle yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's about right yeah that's yeah. what we were living in as well ah, like okay we, yeah we, we could go to uh, another area like another kids ground as well and then we would we had to ask permission from our parents to go there, but first of all, <laughs> mm-hmm. to go there because it's like far and stuff like that. But it's like pretty much what you described. Yeah, it's yeah. where we lived in, and we could knew like we knew everyone from from this side of the road to another side of the road. If you know what I mean, yeah. Okay, and what are sort of your maybe strongest memories from your childhood of growing up? I would say playing football uh, with my friends. And climbing trees and, uh, yeah, like buying, buying snacks. If you had like 50 cents or something, like a coin of 50, it could buy you like chewing gum, water, and then maybe chips. And then you could share with everyone. It was mm-hmm. so cheap and it was so nice. And did you, did you come from a big family? So I've got my little brother and my little sister and... Uh, when she was born, I was already in Australia, so I didn't see her that much. Okay. Yeah. So she's now nine. My brother, he is 22. 
Okay. Yeah, I'm 27. What was school like at that time? It was, I, would, I wouldn't say it's tough because I was doing sport mostly mm-hmm. and I was focusing on sports. So I could get my leeways, you can say. Because <laughs> you, you had to, like I was studying in the sports school where okay. sports was like the main priority. Oh, okay. Yeah. And when did you start that? I started when, like I was really small. I don't, really, I don't even remember when I started it. Before that, I was into music a lot. And then after that, my parents put me in sport, in right. swimming. Yeah. So how do you, how does that happen? Is it that some, someone identifies that you have a talent and recommends you go to a certain school? I think my dad, he got recommendation from, because he was in sport as well, like he's a weightlifter and he was a national trainer for synchronized swimming. And then his friend trainer, she saw me and she's like, oh, why don't she, why don't you just put her in swimming with us? Because she, she looks like she could, she could do it. And he's like, all right, yeah, we can try. And that, that's how it went, I think. <laughs> so what does what's involved then in that kind of school? In that kind of like we still got the education like algebra and math and Russian and etc. But for example, if you miss the deadline or something because of your competition, you could do it again because mm-hmm. they will give you another chance to do it because they understand that yeah, okay, she had a competition. Let's put her another day or let's give her another extra day to do this exam or this assignment. This sort of leeway, as you can say, <laughs> if you call it leeway. <laughs> and you went to that school all through your sort of high school years? Yeah, but I think I started this, the sports school when like maybe grade six, I think, yeah. Before that, it was like a intense school. Mm-hmm. And then because I couldn't keep up like with intense school and then plus sport, they're like, we can transfer her to this sports school, actually would be a bit like still good education but not as intense like we could give her a chance to do this exam again let's say mm-hmm. yeah and how did this sort of the sports training fit in with the uh, sort of academic education let's say you would have a training uh at 6 a.m or 7 a.m until 8 30 and then it was because it was in the same area like you would have a pool just down the road, and then the school is just like across the road. So you would finish 8.30, go have breakfast, go to school until like 4, then go back to training from 5 till 9. So it was fairly, sounds like it was fairly intense then. Yeah, because like we had to train for competitions. And, and how often would you compete then? Like I would say maybe once a year, or maybe once, two years. Yeah, something like that. And what was the sort of expectation or the or the end goal of you going to this kind of school? What, what what would you normally end up with? So with this particular school, you could become a trainer. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that was the goal of the school, to make you a trainer. And obviously, if you could become Olympic champion, that would be even better. But I didn't want to be a trainer, and that's why I chose hospitality degree. And because it allows you to travel around the world as well. And when, when did you come to that decision? Like at what, what point? I think when I just finished this degree, uh, I mean the high school, and that's when we had like sort of 
exhibition in Kazakhstan in Intercontinental Hotel. And they were talking about these international schools around the world. And that's when my mom found out about it. And she's like, why don't you and your dad go there and just check it out? What are they talking about? Maybe you will like it. And I'm like, yeah, all right. So we went there and I liked it. And I'm like, so we made a decision and we went to Spain. I mean, I went to Spain. Was that was that an easy thing to do or was it a bit of an adjustment to? It was hard because I arrived there and all these people they knew, but I knew that we're all in the same boat. Like mm-hmm. they miss their parents too. Well, they miss their friends and family as well. Yeah, it was hard time adjusting because mm-hmm. homesick and you would call your parents every day and every night. But then you kind of get used to it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, because you have friends and the more study you have, the more friends you have, the the busier you get and you just kind of like, yeah, you don't have that homesick anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Was it, was it like very different for you compared to Kazakhstan? Was it a big sort of a big jump? Maybe because I was traveling before, it was not as big mm-hmm. as of a jump, but it was still a bigger jump because... I was there by myself. I, w- I didn't have my family there with me. So, yeah, it was kind of it was kind of hard. What was the hardest thing, do you think? Maybe a- adjusting to people because mm-hmm. there were like all sorts of different people. But it was kind of good for me because I was challenging myself to get out there, meet new people, make new friends from around the world. Tell me a bit about your... Your family, you mentioned that your father was into was sort of sportsmen. What about, what, what did your mother do? My mother, she's more into, because my dad is a ex-weightlifter, she's not into that. She's like more yoga and stretching okay. and flow. But he liked, he likes boxing, he likes football. My brother, he's into sport as well. Like he did modern pentathlon. Did your father like encourage a lot of sort of more physical activity? Yeah, I would say he was the the main the main man in the family who would be like, yeah, physical activity is good, moves your body and stuff like that. And I'm kind of grateful for that because I know how to swim now and very useful in Australia too. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, now I think about it, it's Kazakhstan is a landlocked country. Yeah, we we don't have that many places to swim, so you have to like kind of drive two or three hours away to actually swim Mm. and because we have real snow like in the city and in the mountains as well we would drive in the mountain and then sled like because there were such a crazy sleds in kazakhstan yeah and we always enjoyed it like my brother and i would just like oh dad let's go we we should go sledding and he's like i'm tired but but he would drive us anyway so What brought you to Tasmania? That's a very interesting question. I think the nature, the people, I've heard so many good things about Tasmania, that people are here very nice, very genuine, very kind. And that's what brought me and my partner here. What specifically, I mean, that's what attracted you to Tasmania, but Mm -hmm. was there any other reason that brought you? Like, did you come for work or was it a lifestyle change or was was Lifestyle change also migration purposes as well yeah i would say like a a bit of change from sydney because sydney was a little bit busy and tasmania is like a little bit settled down a little bit quieter and we had an option between darwin and tasmania 
and because we like cold, my partner and I. So we chose Tasmania. So you'd previously been living in Sydney before yeah. you came here? Yeah. For and like six years. For six, oh, okay. Yeah. And what, what took you to Sydney in the first place? I was in Spain before then, before Sydney. Okay. <laughs> I was studying and working there um, in Mabea, in Madrid. And uh, I could speak a little bit of Spanish and understand it. Right now, obviously not. Like, it's just a little bit, just bits and pieces. And then I was kind of like, I want to try something new. I want to go somewhere now, somewhere else. And then I remember finding Nemo. Okay. Yeah. And then I remember that picture of Opera House and how they found Nemo and stuff like that. I'm like, okay. I told my parents, let's try there. I want to go to Australia. And they're like, you have only three months. So I don't think you're going to get visa, but we can try. So we submit the documents for a student visa and we got it. And then because I was studying under Laureate umbrella, they had like multiple universities around the, across the world. And that's why I got to the, like I studied in Spain in uh, La Roche-Mabea. And then I transferred to Blue Mountains because under the same umbrella. So it's kind of, I continued. So I didn't miss anything. And that was good. You came to Australia, what, nine years ago? Yeah. And that was to mainly to study? Mainly to study, yeah. And what made you decide to sort of stay longer? Because I kind of fell in love with... When I arrived here from Spain, I kind of felt like this is my area, this is my place, and I felt belong. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I want to stay here. It's kind of... I don't want to go back... I do miss my family, but that's where this city came along. I don't know. When I arrived to Sydney, I just felt something. Something mm-hmm. clicked. And I'm like, I really want to stay here. Not just in Sydney, but then in Australia in general. Like, I like the culture that you guys have. What well, Was there anything particular about the culture that appealed to you? I would say people are outgoing. Mm-hmm. They don't really care that much about stuff, which is... Which is good because we people tend to care about a lot about like small unnecessary stuff. And then this kind of culture showed me that you just need to live. You just need to enjoy your life the way you are. It doesn't matter how much you earn. It doesn't matter where you work. It doesn't matter what you do. As long as you just leave, have fun. And that's, yeah, that's what I kind of like. What, what were your first impressions on coming to Tasmania? Cold. And fresh air, that's the biggest part. Like fresh air, really tasty water. And I fell in love with that straight away. I was like, wow, that's very good. But obviously, when I first came from Sydney to Tassie, obviously I was cranky because I was like, oh, where is all these food places? Where Mm -hmm. is um, the shopping mall that I used to? I was living in the city as well, like Sydney CBD and stuff. So that's why I was like, oh. A bit cranky, but then when you get used to it, you you fall in love and you don't want to go. Like recently, my partner and I were visited Sydney, and we were like, "The water is not good. The, the fresh air. Where is the fresh air?" And mm. we 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 missed Hobart. We just wanted to come back. Yeah, because I think a lot of people when they come from a big city to Hobart, there's things you can't always get here, or it's a bit harder to yeah. find than in Melbourne or Sydney. But it's a matter of adapting, I guess. Yeah, and then you fall in love with the community and people here. They're very nice and you just don't want to go. Maybe what was the hardest or most challenging thing to adapt to on coming here for you? The jobs, I would say. Finding a job and then 
because when it, when we came here, even though we had like greatest experiences, we still had to be refused for some reason. Even though like we had really good experiences, it was hard to find a job. Mm-hmm. Like we had to start from zero. Yep. And then back up again. So how were you how were you trying to find a job? Like what did you do? We did everything. We did seek.com, indie.com, everything online market not marketplace, something jobs on Facebook and uh, gum trees. And then we print out the resumes. We were walking around, passing our resumes to every single cafe that we saw. I understand Tasmanians as well, because like we came here from Sydney, from mainland, as they call it. And we don't know anyone. And they're like, we don't know you as well, so I kind of understand. It's like, that's our land, and you're from there. and So you had to kind of gain their trust yeah. or something. Yeah, Yeah, I think this is a, a common challenge for a lot of people at first. So how did you manage to get work eventually? Through, like I got an interview through because I passed my resume, like the paper one, and they called me actually, mm-hmm. and I got a job. What, what kind of job was it? Oh, it was an Italian restaurant. Okay. Yeah, in North Hobart. And uh, it was really good, very hard, because we lived, like, really far. We were living in, in Mount Nelson or Mount something, and we didn't have a car, so oh, okay. I had to finish at a particular time to get a bus. If I miss a bus, yeah, then there is a taxi, and then all you earned it will go to taxi. And, and how, how long did it take you to find your first job here? I was actually lucky when I came to Tassie. I got it in after two weeks mm-hmm. or one week. I got this at- Italian restaurant offer. And then after that, yeah, it just kept coming. I'm good at what I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But how, so how long did you work at the Italian restaurant? I think maybe like six months. And then I found something better. And then after that, something better. I had like multiple jobs because it was hard to find part-time or full-time. So at least I got to part-time and then I made to full-time. And then I was like, okay, I need some stability. I can't do casuals all the time. Yeah, and I guess in 2020 as well, it would have been better to have an office job as an accountant and work in hospitality. Oh, yeah, because in hospitality, that all of those jobs that I was working, I had three jobs at the time, mm. and all of them had to close down. And then because you're casual, you don't have any support. And then because you're on Visa, you don't have Centrelink. Yeah. So we had to take out our super. When you when you first came here, was it how easy was it to sort of meet new people and build those social networks? Because in hospitality is kind of easy because in uh, hospitality every everyone is just so happy and friendly and that's it's very easy to make friends mm-hmm. in hospitality industry i would say so it was not challenging it was easy <laughs> so you could you, it was easy to socialize with people from work yeah. yeah and outside of work if you made friends and i made friends it was easy because i know some people have commented that they've found it difficult to sort of get to know people here properly you can't have sort of super sort of those superficial connections but those deeper connections were a little more difficult in um, somewhere like Tasmania. Has that been your experience or has it been different for you? Mm, 
I would say it was a bit different. Like there were some, like like you said, artificial connections. Uh, but then I found one of my friends and we're still in touch. So I would say we have a deeper connection than those artificial artificial connections that I had. Oh, yeah, that's that's really important for settling into a new place. Yeah, isn't it to be able to to be able to do that? And because you did, you said that you didn't really know anyone before you came here, is that right? No, yeah, I didn't know anyone like at all. So the Italian restaurant was the first place where I started sort of meeting new people, but they were just friendly because you work in there, and but not as friendly as they would go out with you or something like that. But do, would you say that also the culture that you come from, because that culture is that a fairly sociable? culture are people generally outgoing yes and no i would say mm-hmm. i'm not sure how about now maybe a bit more open or friendlier or but our hospitality is very crucial part of our community but in terms of like openness and closeness i'm not too sure i'm not too sure about now but before because i was small and i left like really early i remember them every very like open people <laughs> What would you say has been the most difficult thing about sort of trying to settle settle into Tasmania? Or the most difficult thing to adjust to, perhaps? In Tasmania, you can have so many... Like, you know everyone, mm-hmm. and you, have, you can make so many friends. But as you said, to create a genuine connection with someone, it's very hard. Mm-hmm. Like, you would have the whole city of your friends, but then it's very hard to find that genuine connection. I would say that's the biggest challenge because everybody's, which is a good thing, everybody's friendly, but then to have that one true friend is very hard. Yeah, and that's often why, you know, people can get a bit homesick or feel lonely because they don't have those, because those are the connections you are used to at home, Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's true. And FaceTime or Skype wouldn't change it because... That's just digital. You want human connection, like you want that person sitting next to you, Mm -hmm. chat to you, you know. Who would you say was sort of your biggest influence on you in sort of your early life? Mm, I would say my mom. Yeah, she was the one who was always like giving suggestions and. In terms of everything, in terms of fashion, in terms of the way you look after yourself and sport-wise. Sport-wise, I would say that mostly, but education for her is like very important as well. I think I would say both of them, yeah, not just mom. And in, in Kazakhstan, is the sort of you, the extended family important as well? Extended, yeah, of course. Like if, for example, let's say you're Kazakh and you're getting married, they would invite Everyone from your girlfriend's side of family, and then they would invite everybody from their side. They would invite relatives that you don't actually know, but they're still there. <laughs> and you, you would have to be knowing everyone and stuff, yeah. Especially on this kind of big events like weddings and stuff. Like, it's a huge family, and everybody's invited. Nobody's left out. And hospitality is a big part of our community, I would say. And we always throw like 
big parties when it comes to weddings, let's say. Yeah, we want to make sure that everybody is having a good time, everybody is fed well, and really yummy food. Yeah, what's uh, maybe a, a classic or traditional Kazakh sort of food? I don't know how to describe it, but like a big giant noodle, like with the size of your palm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then like boiled potatoes on the side and then boiled onion on the top of that. And then you have lamb meat and then the horse meat as well. But like a horse sausage, you can say. If Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I know in some cultures where the extended family is important that families also have can have a bit of a say on the person you get married and things like that. Is that the case in Kazakhstan? Uh, I would say grandmas and grandpas, they usually have a really big say in terms of who you marry. But the extended family, I don't think they have that much of a, a say. I would say like your parents and grandpas, granddads, they are like the biggest one. What are their sort of concerns or, or what do they look for in a marriage partner, I guess? If he has a job, mm-hmm. if he has a house to live in, to bring you in. If, yeah, I think these are two particular main points. If he, uh, if he's able to support you, if he's able to support the baby in the future down yep. the line. Yeah, those are the two biggest questions that they usually ask. But I was invited to a Kazakh's home. What would I, what should I expect? Oh, you would expect a huge table of different, different sort of food, cold meats, hot dish, a lot of tea. We drink a lot of tea. Mm-hmm. Like my dad, he has a really big bowl and he could drink it like two, three bowls like that of tea. And it has to be really hot as well. And the way you present the tea, it will be perfect to perfection. It has to be a particular color. It cannot be too white, cannot be too dark. Mm-hmm. It will be in the middle. And you would expect really warm bed and a lot of blankets. We would give you a lot of blankets. If you need a lot of pillows, we'll give you a lot of pillows. And we would make sure that you are well fed mm-hmm. <laughs> again. <laughs> Even though you're like, no, 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 I'm, I'm done. We would make sure to give you either a takeaway if you stay in the hotel or something, or if you don't want to stay with us. But we would encourage you to stay with us because we really want to make sure that you are, you're happy. And yeah, that would, that's what you would expect. And you would expect a lot of questions like, how is it <laughs> living in Tasmania? And stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. And what about it? Uh, um, if I'm invited to, if you're invited to a, a Kazakh wedding, what what would you, what should you expect in that that situation? In a Kazakh wedding, you would expect uh, performances, a lot of performances, a lot of singing, a lot of toasts, where people are giving their blessings and giving their wishes to the bride and groom. A lot of kids, mm-hmm. a lot of dances. Depending on the wedding, maybe drinks, maybe not drinks. For example, my cousin, he had a wedding where he had no alcohol because that's his wish. Some weddings, they do have alcohol, so. And you would expect a lot of fun as well. Yeah. A lot of games on the weddings as well. Okay. And uh, as a as a guest who's invited, what's expected of me? Am I, do I have to bring anything or something like that? Or behave in a certain way? Uh, as a guest, if you you would need to come 
that's what I would expect. You would need to come to the groom and bride, congratulate them, maybe give them an envelope of some sort. Like an yeah, envelope of gifts, <laughs> like mm -hmm. a cash or something. Mm -hmm. Or give a gift if you know the bride and groom. Yeah. But your appearance would be meaning them a lot anyways. <laughs> Is there anything about your, um, about say the Kazakh the culture in Kazakhstan that you sort of miss here? Mm, I think the only part I'm missing is my mom's food mm -hmm. and my family in general. Um, but that's about it, because I don't really, because I left Kazakhstan really young, I don't really remember much. That's why. I think the most important part of me is my family and my the food that she cooks. Yeah. Yeah. Is is there any particular particular dish that you miss the most? Yeah, beshmarmak. And she also does like here you call it dumplings. Mm -hmm. Over there we call it manti. Mm -hmm. And it's like so basically dumpling with pumpkin and beef inside it and it's so good 